You can't pray too much, and we certainly need God's help tonight. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we do come before you right now just with um, humble hearts. And we want to hear from you, Lord. And so I would ask right now that any pride that is in this place, be it in the speaker or the audience, would be driven from our hearts, that would be humbled before you, Lord, before your word. Um, as we take up this mighty topic of what is revival, that you would, um, you would show us where that begins, what that looks like for each one of us, um, and as our brother said, how we could be active in your work and be a blessing to your people, Lord, how we could please you with our lives. So, Father, we just uh, cast ourselves upon you right now as needy. Um, we cannot go up unless you go up with us, Lord. We just ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, good evening. I need you to raise your hand if you are 21 years old. No 21-year-olds. Okay. 22. We got two right here. Okay. Are, you, are either one of you attend college? Okay. Um, tell me. I'm not going to go like this. That'd be weird. Um, tell me. Just stand up real quick. Do you mind just... Tell me what you feel like the world around you, not your local assembly and not your family, because I'm sure they're both wonderful, but the, the people that you encounter every day at school, outside of your circle, tell me what it's like in five, ten seconds. Uh, well, for one, I go to... Project. <laughs> I do online high school. Okay. So I, I, well, yeah, online college. I do my classes online. So I go to the college every once in a while. Teachers are good, definitely evolution-based. Okay. Um, the community around is very works-based. Okay. How about you? Can you stand up? Do you mind? I'm actually not in school right now. You're not in school. How about you? Can you tell me? It doesn't matter if you're in school or if you work. I'm about to ask somebody who works. Tell me what it's like, the people around you, the world around you. Um, well, I go to a Christian college, but uh, before that I went to community college and uh, it was definitely a very lost environment. Everyone's um, buying into a whole bunch of different belief systems. And, um, and you can just see how empty they are in, in just um, talking to them. Yeah. Okay, I think I could go around the room. I have a very limited amount of time. I think I could go around the room and I could ask each one of you, 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds, what is it like around you, America? I live in the buckle of the Bible Belt in Lubbock, Texas, but I can tell you as I go around what I see, um, I think people love many things today. I think um, some of their affections are good, some of their affections are noble, their family and their friends, but most of the people that I encounter as I'm out and about, whether it's at my job, um, professing Christians sometimes, some of their affections are, are far less than noble. They're, they're focused on their jobs, their houses, their stuff. If I had to say in one word what the affections of people all around me are, are focused on, what their, their, um, what their desire is for, what their affection is for, I could sum it up in one word. Does anybody want to guess? Self. As I go talk to people, whether they're 21 or whether they're 25 or 24 or if they're 55, people's affections are set on self. That's America. That's where all of you live. That's what? That's, 
That's the whole world. I've been to other places in the world, and I find that's, the, that's part of mankind. Tonight, we're going to talk about America. We're going to talk about Southern California. We're going to talk about Claremont and every other little community between here and Avenue 54, where I drove from this evening. We're going to talk about our circles of friends, our families, our assemblies, and our own lives. And the bleak reality is that people put their time and energy into a lot of things. Now, I know people who put their... Um, Bill Gates recently challenged all the billionaires of the world to give away half of their fortunes. You're worth $30 billion, give $15 billion away. And there's some good-hearted people. Like she said, there's some good people out there, some good professors. But their time and their energy, though some go into community and philanthropy, most of them put into um, people your age, pop culture. Vanity, worthless things, the pursuit of money, not what you need, not paying your bills. We all pay our bills. I pay my bills every single month. I have a job. I go there every day and work. People love self. People have fallen in love with the world. And sometimes that creeps way too close to home. If I was to look out at the world all around me with spiritual eyes and we were to see it for what it really is, I think we would say that the nation all around us, sometimes Christendom in my area, I could say Christendom is idolatrous. Worshiping so many things, but not God. The worship of everything around us in the United States. But we will not worship God in truth. I would describe the reality when we put our spiritual eyes on and we look around. I would say that as we look around, sometime even within circles and within Christendom, whatever you want to call it, America, we would see darkness. Spiritual darkness. Sometimes even oppressively so. And we see death. And it's it's a desperate situation. And I don't know if you live in the same world as I live in, but it's, it's dark. Tonight, we're going to take up in the next 30 minutes, what is revival? If we were to see this darkness and this death addressed in the world around us, in Christendom, in our circle of friends, in our own hearts and lives, what will that look like? What is revival? First of all, I want to start with the word revival. Does anybody know what the word revival actually means? Somebody want to throw it out there? It's not hard to figure out. Do you have Latin? Anybody have Latin in here? To live again. Re means again. Uh, anybody speak Spanish? To live? Yeah, vive! Yeah, vive! Okay. To live again. Revive. To live again. So by default, if you're going to be living again... If that's what revival means, revival, live again, by very definition, by default, what had to have been there in the beginning? Oh, man. Well, that was really good. Like seven of you got that spot on. Okay? Think about that. If revival means live again, then right now, life is not being experienced, but if you're going to live again, that means there had to be life. So frame that in the context of, uh, I have a good friend who's always praying for revival across our island, North America. He's always praying, I want to see revival break out in North America. Wait a second. 
If North America had never seen the light, if the United States had never seen the light, how could it have life again? If it had already been darkness, if it has always been darkness. But the reality is, if you go back to like the 13 colonies, we have any history buffs in here? You had Maryland. They all moved here because they wanted to practice their religion. Maryland. You had Pennsylvania, and they were the Quakers and the Catholics. Twelve of the first 13 colonies were all religious-based people coming from religious persecution. Originally, America wanted to be a Christian nation. We saw these great revivals. We saw the layman's prayer revival. We saw the great awakening in the days of Jonathan Edwards. This country has seen these these times of great revival where there was renewed spiritual interest, where people were coming into the light. They were forsaking lives of sin. And instead of worshiping the idols of America, they began to worship and love God. But I would tell you, based on my reading of history, that perhaps we're at the darkest time in the history of this country. Why? Maybe we're at the darkest time in the history of the churches in this country. What's our response? Where do we start? What's the answer? Revival. To live again. Take your Bible. Um, I don't, I'm not using PowerPoint because... He could not even overcome my technical ineptitude, okay? So um, Jesse was able to escape, um, but I don't have a PowerPoint. I want you to take out your Bible and turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to look at some verses. I say I survey this great land. I'm going to read them, so if you don't have a Bible, look on with a neighbor or follow along with me in your head. I say I look out upon the landscape of America, American churches, sometimes my own circle of friends, and I see two things. I see darkness and I see death, spiritual darkness, spiritual death, and hence we need revival. I think the answer is in one of the shortest verses, my son, he's taking Latin and he has to translate things from English back to Latin to learn Latin, and he, you, know, the, you can't use Jesus wept, but they have to use a Bible verse at this little private school, and so he was trying to think, what is the shortest verse I know in the Bible that I can do this Latin translation? We're about to read one of the shortest verses in the Bible, yet it is one of the most profound. I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to get to verse 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Now, who is this word that was with God and that was God? Come on. Who is it? It's Christ Jesus. That's correct. And then we get to verse 4. In him, in Christ, him, pronoun, talking about what it's just got through talking about. In Him, in the Word, which is Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. In Jesus was life. And the life that came in the form of Jesus, that came in Jesus, the person of Christ, it was the light of men. I mean, what do you want to try to explain that? That's really thick. That's deep water there. In Christ was life. And that life was the light of men. Before we go on, we got to unpack that. We got to understand that. It says in Ephesians, and you were dead. And, he, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. I'm going to teach you a little theology here. It's not that you were actually a physically dead person as though we 
cut his throat and he was a dead, physically dead person. But in a spiritual way, you were dead. Ephesians 2 says, before you, knew Christ, before you accepted Christ and came back to God, you were dead. Why? That death is a separation from God. And if you are separate from God, James says, just as the body without the spirit is dead. So if the spirit leaves your body, I have a very good friend of mine and, and, and she's about to die. And when she dies, it's when she breathes her last and the spirit is gone from the body and it's just a shell. It's just a body. There's no, it's a separation of the spirit from the body. Well, likewise, in a spiritual way, you were spiritually dead and alienated from God, separate from God. And because you were separate from Him, that's what made you spiritually dead. Because He is what? He is life. See, God holds being with Him, that is spiritual life. He is the fountain and the source of life. And apart from Him, mankind is separated from the life that is in Him. We are all dead. This verse is beautiful in John 1.4 because it says that the life that is in God, the spiritual life that is in God, He did not just hold that apart from us forever, but rather He sent His Son, the Word, and in Him was life. So the Father had life. He wants mankind to be reconciled and brought back into a relationship with Him that mankind might live in a spiritual way again. So He sends His Son, and in His Son is life. One author said it's like the sun. The energy of the sun is diffused to earth, is sent to earth through the rays, through, sun, through sunlight. So Christ was the life of God, and he came to earth. And in him was life. But the verse doesn't stop there. And the life was the light of men. See, because all of mankind was alienated from God in spiritual darkness... They were, they, there was no light. They were groping about trying to find their own way and there was no way they could find it. But in Christ, when He came from the Father and showed us who the Father is, in Christ was life. And that life that came in the form of Christ, that Christ brought to mankind, it is the light of men. And without that light, all men, all of mankind, and every man personally is in total spiritual darkness going about trying to find their own way back to God, trying to find, and they will never succeed. So when I say, when I survey the landscape of America, what two things do I find? I find death and I find darkness. They can't see and they're separate from God. And it hasn't always been that way in this great country named America. But that's the way it is today. What do we need? We need revival. We need life brought back again. So the first thing about revival is it will never happen apart from the person of Jesus Christ. When we think that our, I mean, when we think that we can live morally good and perfect lives and make God happy, no, it's never going to happen. All of the ways that mankind comes up with that they're going to reinvigorate their spiritual lives, they're all going to fail. The only way to see revival break out in our churches, the only way to see revival in Christianity in America or Peru or any other country of the world, 
The only way to see revival in your life is that the life that God sent in the person of Christ, that we would have a living and an abiding, intimate relationship with the person of the Lord Jesus. That's the only way to see revival. All the other ways will certainly fail. Now, I want to show you examples of revival, and I'm thinking, I'm racking my brain. What's a good scriptural example? What's the best scriptural example? Now, I could show you um, when Jesus came to the earth, clearly he brought life. He brought the light of God to the world, and, and yeah, revival broke out. I mean, it's the beginning of Christianity, and he came to the nation of Israel. He came into his own. Well, that's actually what the next verse says. Let's look at the next verse in 5. And the light shined into the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus came into his own, the nation of Israel, and they would not receive him. They wanted to cling to their darkness. So I was thinking, we could show that in Christ, but man, that's really hard because revival that Christ brought, it's all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How can I do that in 35 minutes? I can't. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't even try. So I thought, where is another place in the Bible where we could easily identify with what the process of revival can look like practically? Because if I bring theology to you, if I bring thoughts about God to you, and there's nothing that hits your feet, and it just stays in the world of academic knowledge about revival, I don't feel like I've done my job of trying to share with you you about this. So I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles of all places. Somebody in the room knows where we're going. They said, yeah, that's good. 2 Chronicles, I want you to go to 33. There's a couple of revivals that happen in the nation of Israel. And let me just tell you, God blessed the nation of Israel. He says, I didn't choose you because you were more in number than any people. I just set my love upon you because. Actually, you were less than all people. But God set his love upon Israel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the tribes. He took them into Egypt. He delivers them from Egypt. They are sending us, Sinai, we're going to do all that you command us. God had revealed himself in a special way to the nation of Israel, okay? If you didn't know that, that's history. It's recorded. So they had had life because they had been with God. So if they come back to God, you're going to see revival, okay? It happens a couple of times in the book of 2 Chronicles. And I want to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 33. I'm up here talking, and I wasn't flipping. Um, and I'm going to start in 2 Chronicles, and I am in chapter 33. Yeah, I'm going to do 18. Man, I don't know if you've ever heard of this cat, but he was nasty. The rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto God and the works of the seers that spake unto him in the name of the Lord, behold, they're all written in the book of Kings. His prayer also and how God was entreated of him and all of Manasseh's sin and his trespasses and the places where he built high places, set up groves and graven images before he was humbled. Behold, they're written in the seers. And he slept and they buried him. And Amnon, his son, reigned in his stead. He was 22 years old, and he reigned. 22 says he did evil, which is in the sight of the Lord, just like his father did. He sacrificed into carved images, just like Manasseh did. He didn't humble himself before the Lord, just like Manasseh, his father, didn't. As Manasseh had humbled himself, rather. But he trespassed more and more, and his servants conspired and slew him. And they slew him. So there's two kings in Israel, Manasseh and his son, and they both have really terrible spiritual kingships, okay? 
instead of leading like they should have the nation of Israel to God, they led them away from God. They built up high places. They built up altars unto Baal and Balim and Ashtaroth and these other gods. They led the nation of Israel into all kinds of sin. I want to show you that. I want you to, if you have one of these fancy ribbons in your Bible, put it there. Otherwise, hold your finger there. And I want you to go to um, Isaiah. And I want to show you what it was like in these days. Just read a quick portion in Isaiah chapter 1. And we'll read a quick portion in Isaiah and Jeremiah 2 as well. So Isaiah and then Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 1. And this is just during the days. This is during the days of the prophets, the condition of Israel. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. The Lord has spoken. I nourished and brought up my children. They've rebelled against me. The ox knows his master and the donkey his master's crib, but Israel doesn't know. My own people do not consider me. Does that sound familiar? God's own people won't consider him. God's own people won't worship him. God's own people that he sent his son for, they won't love him. My people won't consider me. A sinful nation, verse 4 says, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they've forsaken the Lord. They've provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They've gone backwards. They've backslidden. Why should you be stricken anymore? Why you revolt? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. And here's how God describes His people. From the sole of the foot to the top of the head, there's no soundness. Just wounds, bruises, putrefying sores. When God looks at his people in the days of the prophets, he says, I look at you and you're just like a leper, just sores from your head to your feet. No soundness in it. A people who won't consider that I loved and that I delivered, that I've over and over and over, I've sent you prophets and judges. I've loved you to just unimaginably. And you won't even consider me. Does that sound familiar? What does that sound like? Do any of you, do any of you guys, does that sound like anything to y'all? Are you tracking me here? That to me sounds like 21st century American church right there. And I'm not talking about your assembly. I'm talking about the church at large, okay? A people who won't consider the God who loves them. And hence the need for revival. Turn over to Jeremiah. Just one more verse here and we'll finish out in Second Chronicles. And Jeremiah, Stephen and I were talking about this earlier today. Jeremiah actually prophesied, you can see it in chapter 1, in the days of Josiah, the king that we're about to look at. Just a few verses here in Jeremiah 2. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go cry in the ears of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember you, Israel. In the kindness of your youth, the love of your espousal, the love of your engagement, when you came after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. How many of you are married? Raise your hand real high if you're married. Okay, well, that's a lot of you. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're not married. Oh, that's a lot of you. Okay, good. That's good news. Okay, 
he, he, he uses an analogy here. He's like, I remember you. It's like when we were young love, young lovers, and you ran after me. When we were engaged, you just couldn't get enough of me. You just think about the guy and the girl, Stephen and Anna. Stephen, hot macho dude, and Anna just couldn't get enough of him. And he's like, I remember when you ran after me in the wilderness. You just chased me, and you couldn't get enough of me. That's how God paints Israel. It says in verse 3, Israel was holiness unto the Lord. They were with the Lord. They had the light. They had the life. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. God says something heartbreaking in verse 5. He turns and he says, What iniquity have your fathers found in me that they've gone far from me? Have I done something that would make you turn away from me and not consider and not love me like you did in the kindness of your youth? What, what sin did you find in me, God asked, that you turned away from me? Rhetorically speaking, he knows it wasn't his fault. I would venture to say there's people in here today that can well identify with this that might not raise their hands. That God would look down and say, you know what, I remember you in the kindness of your youth when you ran after me in the wilderness, when you passionately loved me. After I saved you out of your sins, you were so thankful you would fall at my feet every morning. You would open up the word of God and read about me. You would meditate about on me, about my person, about my son. You would go to school because you were in high school and you'd go to school and you'd tell all your friends. They'd be like, well, this is the 90s. That's whenever I was, came to Christ. Jesus freak. That's what they called people. They were going telling all their friends. I remember you, God says, in the kindness of your youth when you ran after me, when your heart was passionate for me. What did I do that you went away from me? For time's sake, let's skip forward to verse 12. Be astonished, heavens. Be horribly afraid, says the Lord. 13 says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of life. The, the fountain of living waters. God says he is the fountain of living waters. Jesus says he is the fountain of living waters. To which if we come and drink, we will never thirst again. God says his people in this time in history, forsook the fountain of living water, water that gave them life, that gave them joy, deep down joy, knowing they were intimate with the God who created them. He was giving them that water, and they turned away and went and did their own thing. Two evils, that's the first. The second is, they hewed out their own, these cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I think this is religion. This is religious practices and things like that, that, that apart from God, they hold no water. We get in the rut of doing these things. And when we're doing some of these very same things, when we're intimate with God, that's a pleasing thing. He says that in Amos. But whenever we've departed him and forsaken him, and there's no true life, there's no fellowship with God. There's no intimacy with the one who loves us and created us. We're hewing out cisterns that we want them to hold water so we can drink, but it's, they don't hold water. And it's not living water. It's stale, nasty water. And that's what the American church is drinking. 
religion. They're not drinking a a healthy dose of a great relationship with their Savior Christ Jesus personally. And he says, why have you forsaken me? And why are you going everywhere else to try to get your thirst filled? You know what we need? Revival. Let's go back to 2 Chronicles and let's look at a man who saw revival in his day. My first thing and the first part of my message was the revival will only come for people in this room, for churches represented by this room, through an intimate knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, His will, His workings, His thoughts, the God that created us and His Son Christ. Let's look at some practical things in the life of Josiah. We read 2 Chronicles 33. That's the context in which Josiah was born. Guess what? That's the context you were born. So you can see yourself kind of in Josiah's life here a little bit. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. That's pretty young. Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David his father, and he didn't go to the right hand or to the left hand. See, that's a summary of his whole life right there. Josiah did what was right. And he's contrasting him with his dad and his grandpappy, Manasseh, who both did what was wrong in the sight of the Lord. And now he's going to tell us the story. In the eighth year of his reign. Now, is anybody good at mathematics in here? Okay, so how old was he when he began to reign? He was eight. And in eighth year of his reign... So, yeah, he's 16 years old. Good. So he's 16. Is anybody in here 16 years old? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay. You are the age that Josiah was when this happened, so pay very close attention to what I'm about to say. In the eighth year of his reign, when he was yet young, so the Bible officially says you're young, he began to seek the, after the God of David, his father. Jesse just stood right here just a couple of minutes ago, just like this, and he said, that was mean. I shouldn't have done that, Jesse. I'm sorry. I'm not real sorry. A little bit sorry. But you said short white guy earlier. Okay, Jesse just said, you're not too young to be faithful in God's service. Josiah was 16 years old, and he began to seek after the God of David, his father. His grandpappy didn't seek after the God of David, and his dad didn't. And he didn't have an example. So whatever excuses we have, he didn't make those excuses. He didn't have his walking, living testimony because the whole, whole, we're about to see the whole kingdom was full of idols. The whole kingdom was full of altars. The whole kingdom was full of false worship. It's not like he got to look up to his dad. Most of you got to look up to your dad as an example of piety and godliness. Josiah didn't have that. And he didn't use that as an excuse. He just had a heart to seek after God. And I'd be willing to bet there's a lot of people in here tonight who have a heart to seek after God. Very short. It just says when he was in the eighth year, he had a heart to seek after God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, boom, huge gap here. How long is that gap? It's about that long because that's what I just said, right? Good. It's four years. You know what that tells me? Rome wasn't built in a day. And neither is revival going to come about in America and everywhere else in a day. He began to seek after the Lord. God put it in his heart, and he responded, and he wanted to please the Lord. And four years later, we get the next report. It's only like five words later, but it's four years later in the 12th year. What did he do? 
he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places. You know how old he was in the 12th year of his reign? Does anybody know? 20. That's exactly right. He's 20. Who's 20? Raise your hand if you're 20. Come on now. Higher. Higher. You, higher. Okay. That's high enough. He was 20 years old. He was the king, and he began to go through Judah, and all these people had these altars in their backyard, and he started tearing them all down, and he said, this doesn't please the God of my father." And he started tearing down everybody's altars. First thing, he sought the Lord. Second, he identified the things that were keeping him from further pursuing the Lord. And he tore it down violently. Verse 4, he broke down the altars of Balaam in his presence. Images high above them. He cut them down, the groves, the carved images, the molten images. He broke them all into pieces. He made dust of it. And he put it on the graves of those that had sacrificed unto them. And he burned the bones of the priest upon their altar. He was serious. Anything that had to do with worshiping anything or anybody else other than Jehovah, the God of David, he got rid of it. You know why most of the people who want genuine revival in their lives have a heart to seek the God of their fathers in this room are not yet doing it? Because we love other things. There's other things that are more important. I said we all love things, and Americans love things, and unfortunately we've been born into the most worldly culture maybe in history. I don't know. I can't say that for sure. I've seen other cultures that are not as worldly as the one that we are in. And it's just like our brother, when he was doing the music, he says we're being pulled from every direction for our affection and for our love. We're being told by everyone around us that those things matter, that they're important, and the reality is they don't. What is it for you? I have no idea. Earlier I mentioned pop culture. I mentioned vanity. I mentioned some of you who are just finishing college and you're thinking money, 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 money. And you know what you're going to find whenever you're as old as me? I see, I didn't throw anybody else under the bus because I'm done for the rest of the night throwing people under the bus. I'm the example for the rest of the night. You're going to find those things don't satisfy at all. They are not living water. They hold no water. Josiah passionately got rid of everything holding himself and the nation back from seeking God. He had a heart to seek God. He got rid of the things that were keeping him from seeking God. And when he had broken down in seven all the altars and the groves and beaten their images into powder and cut them all down, the idols through the land, he returned to Jerusalem. In the 18th year, so first he has a heart to seek God. And then he takes these years and he purges um, all of the land. And then in the 18th year of his reign, how old is he now? 26. Very good. He's 26 years old. When he had purged the land, he sends these guys. I'm going to summarize. He sends these guys, priests and so on and so forth, and he says, I want y'all to all go and I want you to um, repair the house of the Lord. He didn't stop with purging the land. He says, we're not done with just cleaning out our lives. It's like the, in the New Testament whenever you send out that devil and then seven more devils come in its place. It's not good enough just to purge out the things that are keeping you back from serving God. He said, we need to not just get away with other idols. We need to get back to serving God. We need to get back to worshiping God. And that's what the temple represented in these days was God's service and God's worship. 
And he says, he took his money and he started writing the checks. Get out there and clean it out, guys. Get out there and change. He put his resources towards the service of God. He put his mind towards the service of God. He put his energy towards God's service. And they started cleaning it out. And go to verse 14. And when they had brought out the money that was brought out of the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. What do you know? After he, he, he didn't find this when he was 8 years old. He didn't find it when he was 16. He didn't find it when he was 20. He had this major purge and cleansing. And then he got back to God's house, God's worship. He's bringing people back to worshiping the Lord. And then he finds the Word of God. And Hilkiah says, I found the book of the law. What should we do with it? And he says, bring it here and read it to me and read it to me now. And as he heard the word of the Lord, which in this case, and you'd see in verse 22 through 25, it says that the wrath of God was going to be poured out upon that nation because of their idolatry and them forsaking him. God's word became clear to him. He had a clear mind and a clear heart to receive what God was saying because he had been faithful in all these other things. In verse 27, this is important. Listen. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words and you humbled yourself before me, you rent your clothes and you wept before me. I'm going to gather you to your father. I'm going to, I'm going to, my judgment's going to come upon the nation, but it will not basically come in your day, and it won't come upon you. And he says the reason is because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself. You saw the sin of your fathers. You saw this iniquity. You saw these idols, and instead of going the way everybody else was going, you sought me. You purged. You worshiped. You served. You gave your resources and at every moment, whenever I convicted you something was wrong, you put it away and you sought me anew. Because your heart was humble. And you basically said, whatever it is, God, I'll do it. Whatever it is, Lord, I'll do it, even if it's hard. Do you think it was easy for a 20-year-old king to go through the entire nation and tear down everybody's idols? The grandpa's idols and the dad's idols and the uncle's idols? And all these older people thinking he's crazy. There were fertility gods. All these women are thinking they're not going to get pregnant now. I mean, it was not easy. But Josiah's heart was humble. And I'm going to tell you tonight that that's what God wants. Is He wants about 35 young people, 40 young people in this room to have humble hearts before Him. And to be willing to do whatever He asks. That's not easy. Take it from me, that's hard. Sounds easy, it's hard. To put away whatever he calls you to put away. To set aside the time to seek him and serve him. To not do what's popular amongst all of your friends that aren't experiencing revival because all they're experiencing is death and darkness. And then it's hard because you're going to take this light which God is giving you and you're going to take it into the darkness. And you're going to take it to your friends. That's hard. These things aren't easy. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. Raise your hand if you think I'm telling you it's going to be easy. Okay, good. We're all on the same page. It will not be easy. Go back and look at history and see if Jesus had it easy. Read the New Testament. 
Those who live godly in Christ Jesus, they're going to suffer persecution. I lay out before you a real clear road. It's hard. But it's worth it. Everybody who gets to the end of that road, having lived a life given to the Lord, would not take any of it back. Live your life in all of the world chasing dreams of the world and what the world is telling you. You get to the end of your life and you say, I've spent all of my life for nothing. And you're in darkness and you're in death and you want revival and you're old. Don't put off until tomorrow what can be accomplished in your life for God today. When is the day of revival? It's today. Where are you at and what revival do you need? The Lord knows and what you need is more of his presence more time with him. Let's go to verse 35. Uh, the end result, 35 and verse 1. I'm sorry, chapter 35, verse 1. Josiah kept a Passover. The fruit coming out of Josiah's life was amazing. Um, go to verse 18 of chapter 35. It says the children of Israel kept the Passover the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there was no Passover like it kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah did, and the priests and the Levites and Judah. Nobody had ever done it like Josiah did it. And Josiah pleased the Lord. Let me tell you that I would love to see a, a fresh work of God in our generation. I would love to see the assemblies given again to evangelism to discipleship, to training their young people. I would love to see that. I would love to see the North American churches outside the assemblies, Christians that are in Baptist churches and everything else, on fire for Jesus Christ and going out with the gospel to change the world. I would love to see all of North America on fire for Jesus Christ. But you know what? Tomorrow, I can't very well affect that change by myself tomorrow across all of North America. So let me ask you this. What change can I affect tomorrow with God's help? What level of revival can I ensure by God's grace and help happens tomorrow? Right here. If I'm going to see it in my own home assembly, quit waiting for my elders to do it. Quit waiting for my friends in the assembly to do it. Quit waiting for my parents to do it. Quit waiting for everybody else. It's time to humble ourselves and experience personal revival. If we want to see national revival, if we want to see assembly revival, if we want to see North American revival, let me tell you what we got to see. Personal revival. I'm preaching to myself and letting you listen. If I'm going to see, I have five kids. If I want their hearts to be aflame for Jesus Christ, I need to become the dad and the man that is aflame for Jesus Christ. We can't wait for everybody else to affect revival. It starts with us. You go back and read history. Read the Cambridge Seven. You read about the Layman's Prayer Revival. The whole country was changed, and it started with a group of five businessmen who came and got together in a building in Chicago, and they got on their knees, and they prayed and went back to work, and that was it. And pretty quick, hundreds were praying, and then thousands were praying, and there was a, an awakening of God in North America. And it started with people getting down on their knees and praying over their lunch break. And how many of us go a whole day or sometimes several days in a row without praying at all? 
Our problem is that we have forsaken him, the fountain of living waters, and we are hewing out our own, our cisterns that you hold no water. What iniquity have we found in him that we would forsake him? He's been nothing but good to us. My message to you tonight, what is revival? It's life coming back in a powerful way again. And my message is personal revival. Now, maybe our brother will talk about national revival and assembly revival and everything else. But um, I'm going to pray for myself. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to hand it over. And I'm going to make one small announcement. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you love us and that you're patient with us. God, we look at the way that you dealt with Israel over and over and over again. You just took abuse and you kept back coming back and loving them. And Lord, I could say you've done that in my life, and I know many believers in here can agree that we have too often times neglected our personal relationship with you. And God, we just want to humble ourselves before you and repent like Josiah did in sincerity. Put away the things holding us back and seek you afresh, anew, that the light, the life that is in Christ would fill our hearts and our souls. It would be streams of water overflowing. My cup overfloweth. Surely the goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. God, help us. For we cannot do this in our own power. We need thee every hour. Oh, we need thee. So we ask for your help in this endeavor, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.